Our second reading today comes from the book of Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in the exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to start off thanking y'all for having me back. I will occupy any space where I get to be the other Shannon. <laughs> and so I'm going I'm to start off with a story, so humor me for a bit. The year was 1988. I'll never forget it. It was the year that I learned the world did not revolve around me. Now picture it. A small little girl with a bad perm and braces sitting on the bench of her middle school gym. Red and white jersey on, the number 12 resting on her back. Her lip stuck out, her arms crossed. She was pouting. Her team was losing and losing badly. And her high top Converse shoes were getting impatient as they tapped on the hardwood floor. She knew that if her coach just put her in the game, she could bring the team back. She could make the team win. To not be in the starting lineup, she expected, after all, her coach was upset with her because she was 40 minutes late to practice the day before the game. But come on now, it's the second quarter. And then the buzzer sounded. It was halftime, and she still hadn't been put into the game. The coach encouraged the team at, in the locker room, but she sat in the corner almost happy that they were losing. Ha! See what happens when I don't play, her body language screamed. The other 11 players, her friends, or so she thought, seemed to not care at all the grave injustice that had befallen her. The third quarter came and went. And then the fourth quarter and the final buzzer. Blackburn Middle School, 31, Newton Conover, 14. Her team had lost. But she walked into the locker room with her head held high. That'll teach him, she thought. After all, losing is what happens when you bench the best player. 
Now she took little time emerging from the locker room and hurrying through the crowd, about 30 people, to find her parents because she just knew they were going to be as irate as she was. Can you believe she didn't play me, she whined. We could have won that game. I'm glad we lost, she boasted. But not getting the attention or the affirmation she was looking for from her parents, she asked, so when are you going to call the coach and let her have it? Her mom turned to her before getting into the car and matter-of-factly replied, we're not. What? The little girl exclaimed, you, you shouldn't have been late to practice, her mom said. And then her dad added, I would have benched you too. Shocked and in disbelief, the little girl threw her backpack into the back of the car and climbed in. And the ride home was nearly silent, except for her mom concluding the afternoon's events by saying, Honey, your gift in basketball is only a gift when it's used alongside the gifts of everyone else. It doesn't make you any more important than the rest of the team. Now, it doesn't take much to deduce from Paul's letter that there seems to be something fairly similar going on in the church in Rome. There seems to be a bit of discord, for he writes, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. For as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. Now I suspect these words, this there is no I in team speech, landed to Paul's readers about as well as they did to that little girl with the unfortunate and oversized ego. I mean, who of us here really wants to believe that the fellow stumbling down Church Street, the one who probably hasn't showered in days, the one who might be self-medicating, the one holding a cardboard sign, has equal God-given gifts for the healing of the nations as we do? Or what about that person in prison who committed a heinous crime? Are we to really believe that she has gifts of the Spirit without which it makes our body an incomplete one? It's a hard pill to swallow for sure, and I find it incredibly difficult at times. After all, I'm all for the likes of Jerry Falwell and Ron DeSantis having a seat at the welcome table. I just don't think their seat needs to be as close to Jesus as mine is. <laughs> now, if I'm being really honest, I'm not a huge fan of the Apostle Paul. He can get a little too wordy for me sometimes. Yet in our text today, Paul gets right to the point. After spending the first 11 chapters reminding these Roman Christians of what it is they ought to believe in, primarily that we are justified by grace through faith, Paul makes a pivot here in this 12th chapter. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, he writes, holy and acceptable to God. Now these are some beautiful words, but they're also powerful words. 
There's nothing more threatening to the cultural powers of the day or empire than a people who are willing to give up their lives in service for one another. And I wonder if that's why over the past couple of centuries, the meaning of this text has been somewhat sanitized. After all, empires don't like to be threatened. I've rarely heard these verses from Paul used as a rally cry for us to show up in places of injustice and place our bodies in the midst of it for change and more as a plea for individual morality. As our bodies, specifically the bodies of women, become the political weapon of the day, Verses like this have been distorted to justify and reinforce unjust systems like patriarchy and white supremacy, a gross misrepresentation of Paul's very intent that we must recognize and value the gifts of every one of God's children and for them to be used collectively for communal transformation. You see, Paul makes this pivot from doctrine to discipleship because he recognizes when faith is nothing more than an intellectual ascent, it cannot and will not change the world. Doctrine means little if it's not lived out. Theology has no relevance if it doesn't inform our lives. Don't be conformed by the world, Paul beseeches, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be a living sacrifice. Trust the narrative of the gospel more than the one of empire. And trust it so much so that you are willing to put your very lives on the line to prove its truth. Now, many years ago, I had a professor at Duke who started every class with this statement. You have no story except the story you chose when you had no story. Mm -hmm. You had no story except the story you chose when you had no story. Y'all, I paid a lot of money to hear that. And y'all getting it for free. Week after week, my classmates and I would make fun of this, rendering this ivory tower gibberish until the professor decided to finally explain what he meant by the statement. What story do you believe in, he asked. The story that our society sells us or the one that Jesus teaches? You could have heard a pin drop. Now, I never put too much thought into the power of stories until he explained that we are a people of stories. I had always been taught that our faith was a set of rules to follow, a set of right beliefs to memorize and to recite. Yet this professor was saying that our faith is a narrative, a narrative that we choose, a narrative that forms who we are. For example, if we were to buy into society's narrative of scarcity, that there's not enough, not enough housing, not enough jobs, not enough food, well, then we can justify creating systems that actually evaluate a person's deservedness and worth for accessing their basic needs and then celebrate those systems as faithful ways of distributing resources. 
If we believe that there's not enough as empire teaches, we will begin to see one another as threat, not sibling. Is it any wonder then why so many of us act as if God's grace and salvation are also in limited supply, causing us to create right formulas so that we have control over who earns salvation and who doesn't? Conforming to this world would mean that we center our identity not in our creator, but in this very rightness. Notice, I didn't say righteousness, but rightness. And where someone possesses right belief, someone else fundamentally must be wrong. Leaving the very foundation of our worth predicated on someone else always being the other, the outsider, the unbeliever. Paul wants the Christian church in Rome to quit playing by the rules of empire. And seated in the very center of empire, he beseeches them to tell a different story, a story that teaches that when we break and pour and share what we have, everyone has what they need and no one goes without. The narrative that explains our identity and worth comes not from the parcel of land on which we live or the flag that we fly, but from being made in the image of our God. The story that reminds us time and time again that you are needed and you are needed and you are needed just as we are. Now, this church is filled with gifts. I've seen them. Some of you have the gift of teaching, while others of you bring your questions and your curiosity. Some of you have the gift of leadership, while others offer laughter at times of difficulty. Some of you have generous spirits and others of you bring your vulnerable spirits to the community. We all have something to bring to the table, as does the fellow stumbling down Church Street, the woman behind bars. And thankfully, I'm reminded that God sets the seating chart at the welcome table, not me, and that it's a circular table where God herself is seated in the middle, no one closer to Jesus and no one further away. We celebrate these individual gifts, but learn to understand these gifts are only gifts when used for the common good. To seek justice, to continue lifting the veil of the lies of empire, to challenge the narrative of scarcity and live into the promise of abundance, Allowing the good news to be good news to those who are oppressed, even if it means significant shifts in the foundational systems on which we benefit. Again, we are asked, which narrative will we trust? The one that tells us we are what we own? That our power resides in the color of our skin? Or the one that reminds us that resurrection always follows crucifixion. And all of us are only liberated when each of us is liberated. This life of discipleship requires a new mind. It requires a choosing of the story to which we will belong and believe in. 
It's spiritual worship that is not confined to a Sunday morning spent in church, although that's important, so don't rush off to brunch just yet. (laughs) It's a life spent using our God-given gifts in service to one another to bring about the commonwealth of God for everyone. It is countercultural for sure, which is why we can't do it alone. We're not meant to do it alone. There is no such thing as an individual Christian. We need each other. It's kind of like the lesson that skinny little girl with a bad perm learned so many years ago. She thought her gift lifted her above her team, made her right made her not need anyone else, exempted from the expectations of everyone else. She learned the hard way that one person does not make a team. But in God, we are made a family, a wonderfully diverse and gifted family. And y'all, that is good news. And may we share that story loud and proud because goodness knows Our world sure does need a little good news. Thanks be to God. Amen.